Coming up in Need to Know, author Ava Freeman joins us to discuss her book, Love's Divine, as part of the Warden-Webster Book Club. In all the fields, we celebrate the great Serena Williams as she retires from professional tennis. And in Gotta Do, we get those cover letters and resumes together. That's right. It's another one of our 22 things you gotta do to live your best life in 2022. The podcast that encourages you to know, feel, and do to live your best life. This is Ward and Webster. Hello, Bianca. Well, hello there once again, friends. So this is your last week to give a letter, but before you do, well, actually <laughs> give yours. And then I'm going to ask you a question about how we're going to do this next week. We start all over. Hold on. <laughs> and then when I looked, I was like, damn, are we in Z already? <laughs> it's fine. Today's episode of Warden Webster is brought to you by the letter Z. I am feeling zestful, zany, and zealous. I don't know. That's all I got. Zestful, zany, and zealous. Zealous, zesty, zealous. zany, and zealous. That's all I have. I don't know. I feel like those are all. I feel like that. I feel like those are three versions of the same. The book. same thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what up? Zero, because I have zero energy and zero effects to give. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so then here's my question: mm-hmm. Should next week we start where I do them? Or should you do them mm-hmm. again, but do it another way? Or should we retire this all together? No, this is fun. This is who we are. <laughs> this is who we are. I However, hate to be that girl. Is it fun? Yes. <laughs> because half the weeks you don't even know what you're going to use. That's part of it. See, you would come prepared with a script, but maybe you pick it up. Maybe we start over and it's you. And I say, I say, how are you feeling? <laughs> because you I know think- me. I am, I am known for being excited about something for like five hot minutes. And then I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm bored with this. I don't want to do it anymore. But you have a way with words and an excellent vocabulary. So I feel like you would bring some, I don't know, some really fancy things, some things I got to look up. Well, I'm going to think about it for the next seven days and (laughs) the Wanders can just tune in next week and see what we do. (laughs) Um, Okay, it's back. My pop culture roundup is back. And today we have two items in the roundup that need to be discussed. Item number one is Nick Cannon and his big old... Sperm count. (laughs) Big sperm count. (laughs) Well, according to all of the entertainment outlets, Nick Cannon Mm -hmm. is expecting his 10th child with Bethany. What's the girl's name? I don't know. But they have some kids together already. Yes, yes. So did you first of all, did you see this? Are you aware before we get into why this is problematic? (laughs) (laughs) I saw it um you did you see I think I think you probably if you wanted to pull up your phone I think I did send you the link when I saw this I was like okay so now we're into double digit number of children and on the one hand get out of people's draws stop telling people what they can and cannot do with their bodies and their wallets and all the rest Mm -hmm. but on the other hand how can you spend quality time with 10 people And do we really need to be doing this? 
So that, and you know, we've, we've talked about Nick Cannon in a variety of ways before, whether it be the size of his number. (laughs) Please let's try to clean it up. It's a Saturday morning. It is. Or the, the, the plethora of children. And it comes back to like, yes, he can afford them. So let's be clear. Wealthy people do things different. He can afford all of them. Um, clearly the, the mothers of his children know what they're getting into or literally anybody that sleeps with him must know <laughs> what they're getting into. Right. Correct. Um, he has, you know, he's had more than one child with this particular woman. This is their third. Um, so he's going back to where he knows the uterus he knows <laughs> so that part. Um, but again, I think it, it's like, I would just I would just be curious to know how he is because he is also celebrity he is all over the place. How is he spending his time? How is he investing emotionally, not financially, but emotionally in in the children? I think he but but clearly, I don't know. He knows what he's doing. He has no intention of stopping. And I, and um because my mother mentioned it to me also. Did you? cannabis and I think that's interesting because my mother was one of 10 my grandmother had 10 children but a very different time (laughs) with my grandpa that one person they did the things right and so I I don't I don't I don't I don't know so so if we just take the was your was your mother a part of a family unit of 10 or were they separated into various different households because I also think that that is key to what we're talking about here that makes a very big difference she was a family unit they were they were a unit you're right so here's the thing Mm -hmm. he's got 10 about to have 10 children with multiple women and we're talking multiple family units multiple households and that by itself is different than if they were all under the same roof with him and the same mother and father Now, Bianca, I think you do know that this is not a good idea. And I think you do know that this is impossible. This is not possible to do. So you tell me you have two children that you gave birth to. Now, if you had eight others, how could you possibly work your job, be a wife to your husband, and then be an adequate mother to, I mean, that's just, that's not, no one can do that, Bianca. And you don't even, and you're not a celebrity with a huge career to like keep up with like Nick Cannon. He's always traveling. He's always working. It's just not, it isn't feasible to, to have a deep connection with that many people. We don't even know him. We can say that it's not feasible. <laughs> I, I have said before that I have to, in order to, to parent two different children, I have to be two different people a lot of times because the way um, Grace's love language is different than Noah's. So the way that I, I parent her sometimes looks different. Like I, I it really is about, also for me and my own sanity, but just meeting their needs. So I, I couldn't imagine, and, and shout out to my grandmother, may she rest, having to do that with even more children. Um, but again, again, to your point, the idea of, uh, you know, multiple households. So it's also just like, how are you dividing your time? Now, again, there, his joint custody arrangements could look as such where they're all on the jet with him going wherever he goes. Like, we don't know, but uh, no, nah, I don't know. Cause I feel like Mariah's like, you're not taking my babies all over the gym. And <laughs> That's um, Mariah Carey, how she doing? 
not to take it too far into the gutter, but correct me if I'm wrong, his philosophy on life is that you spread your seed as much and as wide and as often as you can. That's literally what his core belief is, correct? He, I I don't know. Well, well, I'm being serious, Bianca. I think that's where this comes from. I think he, some people believe that, that you spread the seed, quote unquote, which means as many babies as the universe will allow you to have naturally, yeah. then that's what you do. I think he is a subscriber to that belief system because what else could it be? I mean, he must believe that you just have, keep having babies as long as you can have babies because what else, what else could this be about? It, it could very well be. But again, he grown adult with means, but also he is with women that clearly know and are clearly also signing up for this. And that's a whole other episode because- <laughs> And I would have to choose my words very wisely because I don't want to offend people. But I, I do feel some sort of way about any woman that's 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 willing to do this at this stage because to me, it's just it, it's borderline weird. There, I said it. We're moving on. Item number two in my pop culture roundup: <laughs> the UK version of Rolling Stone had a cover this last week, Bianca, of Mm. Harry Styles. Now, if I'm being completely honest with y'all, y'all know I keep it 100 on the show. I didn't know who this person was. I have since Googled it and looked it up. Mm -hmm. So for those of you, you know, he's one of those people where I've heard the name, but if he slapped my face, I wouldn't know who it was. (laughs) I now know who he is. Mm -hmm. So I'm caught up on that part. But here's the part that was crazy. On their cover for Harry Styles, they said he was the new, wait for it, wait for it. He was the new king of pop. (laughs) And I immediately screenshotted it and sent it to Bianca because I knew that you were going to have something to say about this. And before you answer, Black Twitter was not amused. They were not. And they went to Dragon. Dragon? They did because you know we are going to give it to to Black Twitter. So also, I I wonder um, because I didn't realize until you just said it that this was Rolling Stone UK, right? So because Harry Styles is a British singer, maybe they're like, oh, he is one of us, <laughs> and this is our King of Pop. <laughs> I don't know. So you're giving them more grace than they deserve. They, they, they should have just kept it out of their mouth all together. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> all together. Because, because this is lies. <laughs> because first of all, why, why even put this young man in the position of having to defend that or have that on him? It, it's just, don't do that. Like you, you're putting expectations, you're putting this on another person. And he's probably like, oh, now I'm going to have to answer questions about this when I'm clearly not, not that. <laughs> what has he said, though? I don't even know because he, (laughs) the only song that, so he has a song called music for a sushi restaurant. (laughs) And, and the only reason I know it is because I Googled it because it was in an ad, like an Apple ad or some, some ad. And I was like, well, that's a little catchy little bop. What song is that? And that is, that is it. And watermelon sugar. So, and also before we leave this, I just want to tell the other one is what I learned about him on on the Google machine in case because I didn't know anything about this person. So apparently, Harry Styles used to be a part of One Direction. One Direction. Mm-hmm. And I also learned that One Direction is a boy band. Didn't know that either. <laughs> yes. And um, and so now he has a solo career. And I also learned that he's he's known as like this sex symbol. 
I didn't know that. But you know, I'm now that I'm seeing him, he's not necessarily bad looking, not my cup of tea, but I can see why he's quote unquote hot as some people might say, not me or Bianca, but you know, whatever. So I will tweet out these ridiculous stories about him being the quote unquote king of pop and also the black Twitter clapback from the root. You will want to do this. I'm just going to read one real quick. Michael (laughs) Jackson didn't give us the biggest selling album of all time, invented a whole ass dance style, broke racial barriers, revolutionized the music industry, gave us immortal anthems, and became a god for y'all to call Harry Styles the new king of pop. Come on with it. (laughs) Not give us all that. Harry? No. In this week's Need to Know, author Ava Freeman joins us to discuss her book, Love's Divine, as part of the Warden Webster Beauty Shop Book Club book. Uh, so we are really excited to have you, as we, as I mentioned right before we hit recording, got started. I literally was like, if, if I send a message... To- <laughs> Will Ava come on? So I first want to thank you for yeah agreeing to come on to this here this here foolishness. My pleasure. <laughs> um, before I read your bio, one of the things that I also like when I was on your website, I love the playlist, and I have the playlist that you created. I have listened to numerous times, and I thought. <laughs> and I thought that was just so clever. So I do want to ask specifically specifically about the playlist because I was like, why don't more authors do this? Because it just sets a whole tone and vibe. Oh, right? Yes, yes. Fuck. We'll get into that in just a second. But let me properly introduce you. So Ava Freeman loves romance, the steamier, the better. It was that love and her panache for storytelling that inspired her to start writing. When she's not crafting her next story, Ava can be found reading, of course, or watching horror movies, have to balance out those energies. That is when her daughter lets her get a quiet moment. Ooh, I know that that feeling. Usually when she's sleeping, she currently lives in New York with her partner and little rebel. I, I, children. <laughs> that's all you have to say that's it <laughs> that's that's it that's all so um so let's get into it one I know that's you know we always share the bios but tell us a little bit more about yourself the the books you've written um and where that all started so I am books are my my first love I would say um I've been reading voraciously since I was a little kid and so um, it's second nature to me to be always reading something. And I always had the desire to write, but it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. That's just like this idea that I have. And then in 2019, I just, it ultimately came to, because I read a, a, a lot of books, a lot of books. And at the time I was reading a lot of romance. And the wonderful thing is in, with Amazon and stuff is the indie romances is a lot of black women writing romance. And it's beautiful because, you know, I, as a reader, I know, especially in romance, you weren't seeing a lot of black authors for a very long time um, in the mainstream. And so uh, other than some like certain names. And so it's wonderful to see all these people writing and, you know, black women able to read these loving stories and just eating it up. I mean, but the thing is, those are all for the most part, hetero romances. And so while I am I'm bisexual, so I'm, you know, I read the hetero romances, but 
I want to read some other, you know, some women, loving women. And it was not happening with the Black women. It's a lot of um, white lesbian romances out there and just not really anything by Black women, especially when I started writing. Since I've started writing, I've started seeing, which is interesting. But before that, there's only... There's only one author who I followed for years who I love named Fiona Zed, and she's been writing for a while, like over 10 years. But other than her, I, I really don't know of any mainstream ones that I know of other than some of the indie ones that were there. And so I just said, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> I want to read this stuff. I know there's going to be people who want to read it. So why not just see what happens and just write it? So I wrote this short. My first one was Four Letter Word. It was like a short novella. It wasn't even long. And when I saw people were reading and I was like, oh, well, then let me write another one and just kind of went from there. And um, I always have stories in my head. So it works for me because I'm always things are I, I've said before. <laughs> I told a friend of mine that I have voices in my head and she's like, maybe you want to get that checked. But I was like, but no, I hear characters talking. <laughs> I hear dialogue. I hear like all that good stuff. So I'm constantly coming up with things in my mind, having to write things down and stuff. So this is actually a great outlet for me, you know, outside of my work that I do. So it's been fun. And it's for fun. I do it for fun, but I'm glad people are enjoying it. It really is. It really is incredible. So how would you describe this book for folks? So two-part, I am good for a two-part question. So sorry in advance. How would you describe this book to folks who've never read it, Being Love's Divine? And also, are you Zuri or Genesis in the book? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I looked at that question. You get, I, so describing it, it's weird because it's a mixture. So like the first half is definitely a getaway kind of romantic, you know, two people, completely different lives meeting in this Caribbean place. And um, the very first scene that actually I started from writing was Genesis dancing in the house. And that was the first scene I wrote because I, for some reason, had this image of this woman just carefree drinking, you know, a cocktail and dancing to Rihanna. <laughs> and so that was the first scene. And then this woman walking in on her, like, who is this? This is dynamic. I love it. And so that kind of got, so that vibe, that kind of happy, carefree vibe, I would describe it, I guess, as a getaway romance, but also a book about learning to love yourself. Cause that's a really important element in the story with both characters that changed the trajectory of their lives and how they get to each other is about learning like what's important to you. And that was a big theme that I really wanted to, to stress in it. And then who am I? Um, all of my characters are a little bit of me. <laughs> they all have little pieces. If I had to pick one, it might be Zoe. Or are you Tracy? Tracy's <laughs> <laughs> <the> witch, no. <laughs> I was fun, it was fun writing her though. Mm -hmm. I had like whole attitude like it's I when I write characters I get like <laughs> um but no no definitely not but I would say I think I would say Zuri but you know what Zuri has a little bit more confidence than she has the confidence I want like the very like oh I know what I'm doing I know what I'm about I have elements of that so I would but I I think her she's a little more self-assured than Genesis and so I think that element was definitely me like that confidence of like you know you know what you're doing you got that um and so that but I love Genesis too because she's very kind and hearted and like sweet so I, I would say both I'd say I've got both have some part of me in, in them and I do that with all my characters there's always some little either it's the humor or it's a little you know I, I kind of give myself a little bit 
So Ava, thanks for coming on. It's nice to meet you. I want to say a couple things. And before I kind of ask you this question. So number one, I don't read a lot of romance novels in general, but the ones that I have read have, have centered kind of gay men. And your book, I think, Bianca, it's fair to say it's it's more serious than the other books we've read recently. And that the, it's I find it to be more more introspective in the way that you you just you didn't use that word, but in in the in the way that it's a little bit reflective. I wanted to know from your perspective, since I don't read a whole lot of love stories or romance novels where women are are centered, if if you feel like folks like me, like gay men, how do you want us to interpret this story? Or like, what's the experience you would want me to get out of it? If that question makes sense, I'm not asking it in the most articulate way. But what I'm really trying to get at is, I know that I'm not the central audience for this book, but I, I enjoyed it. And I want to know just how you feel about men, uh, particularly gay men reading this book. That's an interesting question, because I, hmm, I guess you could take from it that for me, yes, it was very introspective. It was. And I do think that as a woman who, you know, has had relationships with women, there's an element of those relationships that's very, um, what's the word? There's a level of intensity <laughs> in there for sure. Um, and very, the emotional part is very strong. So in the story, you know, <laughs> you have these two women meet and they're like already without those days that they're together, it's like, now I'm questioning, you know, I feel and stuff. I do think women, when they connect and feel a connection with each other, it can be very, um, uh, there's a word that I'm trying to. It felt quick and intense for me when yeah. I was reading it. I said, oh, we're yeah. in love already. It's been three yeah. days. <laughs> It can be, yes, that like just connection, like when two women are really to each other, there's just something about the connection. It's very, it is very intense. Believe it, I guess, to that extent. And so, um, you know, that there's a reason why they make that joke about you hauling with women. Because women, when they're feeling it, they're feeling it. <laughs> yes. like, I met you yes today. I'm going to move in with you tomorrow. Like that, that's. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in a story, you got to have some buildups. You can't. <laughs> exactly. I think, yeah, the, just the way women love each other is just, I, I wanted to convey that, like, you know, the, so I guess the takeaway for me would be, because obviously with gay men, you know, you know, with two men falling in love is like, so I guess, yeah, the feeling that vibe of how women, you know, interact with each other when they're in love and feel that connection. I wanted to convey that. So I would think that would be the thing I'd want to pick up, you know, to kind of understand and also connect with, because obviously love, <laughs> than anybody. So I think that would be the, the biggest thing that I would say. I want to ask you a question about the characters in a second, but I do appreciate how you start with what I think, what I, in my opinion, is a fairly widespread fantasy of this idea that I'm going to just get away and do my own thing and go to like a place, whether it be an island or a vacation or whatever. And I'm going to meet me a little boo <laughs> while I'm there and have fun <laughs> while I'm there, because yeah. that's the whole point of the vacation. In this particular instance, there was more that kind of, you know, developed and we don't want to give too much of the story away for people who haven't read it, but like the idea that you just kind of go off and you meet someone and you do your own thing. That's a pretty, I think, common fantasy that people have. And so I like, I like that aspect of the story. I wanted to know about the characters in particular. So Bianca's name checked a, a few of them. Do you have a favorite character in this book? And I know that you mentioned that there's a little bit of you in all the characters, but is there a muse for your favorite character other than you, if you have one? Oh, like someone who inspired? Like the Absolutely. Hmm. 
I don't know if I would say there's a muse per se. Like I couldn't, I can't think of a particular person that I would say, oh yeah, I totally based the character off of. I mean, I'm married, I have a husband, I love him. Um, we have love, so, you know, um, so, but I'm trying to think, like, that's a good question. When I was writing the characters, did I, I mean, I, I guess you could say, I mean, I don't have any problem saying I'm actually Polly, so I do have a girlfriend. So I actually dedicated the book to her. So I guess, you know, I would say her, I guess I would say that, but not like the character is like her per se, but that um, the love, so that like feeling you get when you can meet someone that you just connect with, that was inspiring to it. So not, so I wouldn't say like, yeah, that character is totally her. Although Genesis, my girlfriend's a very sweet one, very, very sweet. So they're that element, yes, then I would say is probably some of that is probably coming out in that character. Because if I had to say one of them, it would, that would be her. So, um, but it's more of the feeling that, that feeling of love. And that's why I dedicated the book to her because that was the inspiration for it. So I would say that. I call it the ooey gooey. So it's kind of hard to articulate. Yes, but it's just yes, that, it that feeling. And the, the only, the best words to describe it is ooey gooey. It's just like you get warm, you get, yes, your hands get wet. <laughs> <laughs> I know you think of that person and like, you just feel warmth and like your heart just, yeah. Ava, yeah. it's ooey gooey. It, is, it really is. You know what? You can use that in your next book and I won't even charge you. <laughs> I'm going to dedicate the next book to you and there will be a line. In there. <laughs> yes, but it's, it's totally true. And everybody knows that feeling. Yeah, that totally. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. Can we talk, because um, Isaiah just mentioned kind of muse and inspiration, but can we talk about this playlist for a second? So, yeah, yeah. Um, because I just, okay. So on your, on your website, and I'd never, I, I mentioned it because I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before um where I will the- admit I have seen it some authors okay. do it. I was inspired okay. <laughs> I, I, but then it's indie authors that usually do it so it's not something you mm-hmm. see like you know um traditional which is kind of funny I was like that would be fun to do but but I have seen some indie authors do it and that did the thing is I love music right mm-hmm. music is my other love besides books and so I'm always listening to music I listen to everything and so when I write I'm always listening so those songs were on my, that I was listening to while I was writing. And so that's why, so the vibe that was going mm-hmm. for, I will make a playlist for that helps me write. And they literally do, does help me write. It helps the words come out. And so all those songs were played during the writing of it. So that's why they have the vibe of the book because they were part of the inspiration for some, for the book basically. Yeah. And that's why, so as I, I started listening to it first and then reading the book and then I was like, Wait, let me go back and listen again <laughs> as I read. I would definitely, for all of our author friends out there that are listening that do not have a playlist to accompany their book, yeah, get into that. It's a good. <laughs> it's right. so like, it just totally works so well. Um, um, but music, I think just, and music as its own muse, I think, um, at least for me. And so, um, I love, I love listening to a good R&B playlist. It's like wonderful, especially, lo- I mean, love music, perfect for love writing love, love scenes, love, love books, like the vibe is great. So, um, so then speaking of that, just kind of the, the love stories and Isaiah alluded to this earlier about, um, 
at least in our, and I was intentional in selecting this particular book because we haven't, we've been doing the book club for over a year now. And I don't think we've had any other books that censored Black queer women or a romance, especially. Um, so just in noting that, what would you like to see for the genre? Or how are you, um, I kind of want to say paving the way, but just being intentional about bringing the stories of, of Black queer women and love to the forefront? Because you have quite a few books, so feel free to, you know, name drop them throughout. <laughs> I would love to see more, and I am seeing slightly more, which is wonderful because our experiences are so varied that I think it's important to see all the possibilities um, in life. That's one thing, and I think it's great for others to see what you know we have, but I think it's also great for us to see that reflected um, because you know it's nice to read a story and you can relate to the characters and you know the story, like you feel like you could be in the story or these could be your friends or these, you know, or, or those, all those elements really play a part in enjoyment of these things. So I would just love to see yeah, more people taking a chance in writing and, you know, the way things are now, it's a lot easier for people, indie writers to, you know, just write if you want to write. Um, obviously, you need a talent for it. <laughs> not saying all indie writers are like, oh, it's so great, you know. <laughs> not, not, not everybody. No, not everybody is so good at writing. I, I <laughs> happened. The only reason, honestly, like I'm going to write, I read so much. So um, it kind of lended itself to me and, and just because I'm creative mentally it just comes out but it is hard because I edit my stuff I do it's a lot <laughs> um, if you're an indie writer so that is something to be mindful of but I do think if somebody th has is passionate about something and wants to write a story then write it maybe there are going to be people who enjoy it and want to read what you have to say and I think um black women you know I mean we do so so well in so many things I, I think seeing the creative arts, seeing more of that, especially Black queer women who you don't really see, <laughs> I feel like are kind of hidden in mm. society. Like I, I feel like on TV and movies, you don't really see, it's very rare to see um, Black queer women and, and the variety of identities, <laughs> like different people, you don't see a lot of any of these things. So I would definitely love to see more of those stories and just, you know, hopefully that continues that, you know, people feel, because I think once you put stuff out there in the universe, then people see it and, oh, I could do that too. And I, I think it encourages that. So definitely, and we see more of it. So I tend to listen to a lot of audiobooks. Um, and specifically, I, although I'm almost 40, I listen to a lot of young adult fiction. Hey, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> I love the, the new YA is, is everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not like the old stuff. <laughs> it's, it is not Judy Bloom, okay? Um, <laughs> um, I see, I, I read more stories of young Black queer youth. Um, and I think that that is great because I think to myself, one, the importance of representation for young Black queer folks. And I'm like, damn, if I would have had these books when I was a kid, I know. <laughs> things might have been different. Uh, <laughs> Um, but on the flip side, I like what you're doing because I don't know, again, in this, this romance track, I don't, an adult at that, I don't think I see that as much. So I say all that to say, thank you, um, because I love that, that the YA genre is, is getting it, but I don't know if we are getting it enough 
Yes, you're in left adult out. fiction. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, all my characters, I try to make them in their 30s usually. <laughs> That's the age. I'm 41. So mm-hmm. um, usually it's be either the 30s or early 40s. That's my, uh, I'm like, characters are going to be the age range that I want. Because yeah, you don't see, you don't. The younger people, <laughs> younger people have it a little better. They've got a lot more um, to work with, I think. I think our generation, the millennials and the older I saw something that called, oh God, what was it that they called us? Um, a senior, some <laughs> calling millennials on the, the older end. There's this name that they use, uh, you know, make us sound ancient, but <laughs> we don't, we didn't have a lot of this. So for me, it's like, yeah, I want to write characters. I want people to see characters. We're like, yeah, I'm a grown up <laughs> with a grown up life, doing grown up things and this experience and being happy. I try not to write stories like I uh, only one um, in my first story of one of the characters, she was conflicted as far as being one of the characters bisexual and she was conflicted. But I try to stay away from making characters who are not happily queer Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because I think we see enough of the tortured, at least I feel like I've seen enough of the tortured you know, gay or whatever character that's just like their family's not happy with them. And I'm not saying this is not people's realities, but we want to escape. And I don't think we need to have that constantly. So I like to write stories where it's more like these people are confident in themselves. They're happy. They have their relationships and they're good to go. And it's about the romance. It's not about being a tortured gay Absolutely. person. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Every time I read a story that centers the gay man and HIV is not a part of the arc, I'm, I'm like, You're finally. like, thank you. <laughs> finally. <laughs> we, there, are, there are others of us. Like we have, yes. We it's, not that it's important, not that it's not important, oh, but just okay. every once in a while, we can just okay. have an escape. Bianca's question to you about the playlist made me think of another question. So Ava, you know how you know a song, you love a song, and you have one kind of visualization of it, but then you see the video that the artist does to make this to accompany the song and you see it in a whole nother way. So I wanna ask you, if you had to cast a movie and you were gonna cast Zuri and Genesis, who do you see in those roles? Well, you would have had to give me this before because I would have said, <laughs> come up with something. I want the top of your head answer. I know the top of my head, okay. Let's see, sorry, who who um who would pull that off of that? You know, I think because of the the woman that I put on the cover for Zuri, it makes me think of Tessa Thompson for some reason. She pops in my head. I could see her. And then Genesis. Hmm. Who's a Genesis character? There are so many actresses I like. I should be able to like rattle them off. <laughs> I have a thing for Tika Sumter, so she's the one that pops into my head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Great choice. <laughs> yes. I, I, I like that pairing. <laughs> I, as I was reading it, the whole time I was reading Zuri, I was thinking of Ava DuVernay. Ooh. I know she doesn't act, but <laughs> <She's> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but no, totally. I actually, because I could see her in that, like, yeah, the, that part. Yes, I could. <laughs> Ava DuVernay and Tika Sumter. I could see that. That could be cute. Um, (laughs) Bianca and I always ask each other this question whenever we discuss or review a book. So we'll, we'll pose it to you. Who should read this book? I think anyone who just wants a a nice escape. I mean, there was a little, like you said, there was a little serious, so it's not a complete, like, you know, fun, fun book, Mm -hmm. but it's also, I didn't feel it was a downer. I felt it was just, you know, a little more serious. Um, So I think anyone who just wants a 
to read about, you know, falling in love and what that means, a slow burn, because not everybody likes that. <laughs> I like that. So, you know, meaning, so slow burn and romance is where they're not getting together right away. There is going to be, you know, some conflict, there's going to be some stuff going on, but then you're going to get to the, you know, the fire, the passion, it'll get there. But as some readers are not big fans of that, some people like the, you know, instantaneous, but I kind of like the buildup. Um, I'm a fan of that because I, I think it's more of a reward when you have a buildup. Um, so if you like slow burns and you like um, kind of getting lost and taken away to another place, because um, I had a, someone wrote a review for the book who had lived in Barbados for a number of years. And she said that it made her remember being there and what it was like living there. And I was like, I've never actually been to Barbados. So if I made somebody feel like... <laughs> Yes, there. I'm. I did my job, so I'm like that is a gift. <laughs> Ava, you're. Can I just say really quick the imagery, the visuals, the um, the dis, just the description, the way you use words. I was like, so I've never been to Barbados, but Jamaican, and I know a lot of Jamaica. <laughs> but I was like, yes, I'm eating macaroni pie and rice and peas. Um. And <laughs> <laughs> and I hear the music like it was really um and the beach and the breeze and like it was really very well done that's one thing I really appreciated about your writing which is the the description and the way you literally transported people there thank you um, I'd love to hear that thank you I agree and I'm actually kind of surprised that you've never been because I'm I lived for a while in in New Orleans I'm from Louisiana and authors use New Orleans a lot as a oh, backdrop yeah. for stories. And I can always tell when the author hasn't been there for a significant amount of time because they they get they don't get it. But I <laughs> I would have never known that you'd never been there had you not. Oh, years that. I, I worked hard on that. I did my research trying to find the, and it was kind of interesting when I was writing it. I was like, I guess in my mind, it was like, what do I want people to feel when they're reading this? And it's like, I want you to feel like you're there. I want to feel like, you're on this vacation with Genesis and experiencing this new, this world that she's ever been in. And so, you know, I'm glad to know that that came through in the story. Can you tell us, so what are you working on now? So I unfortunately have had a bout of writer's block. <laughs> I was writing so much <laughs> for like two years straight and my brain said, girl, take a break. So- And that is I okay. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so my last book was Sweetest Taboo was a collection mm -hmm. of short stories like erotica kind of and that was fun I love that um and before that was a very serious book and that <laughs> I'm getting old I'm like what is the name of my book <laughs> that's sad that's sad I can't name drop a book and not remember the name of it Lord this is what happens Isaiah when you're a mom though you get these bouts of can't. <laughs> you don't remember can't remember anything <laughs> It's terrible. Um, the Makings of You it was a very serious book, very heavy about a woman who was, um, was in an abusive relationship and a former drug user and her kind of redemption arc of finding love and turning her life around. And I mm -hmm. loved writing that, but it was so heavy. And then Sweetest Taboo was lighter because it was more a little more about erotic connection between people. But I think it was like both <laughs> writing those back to back. It just kind of took a lot out of me. So I'm writing again though. Um, uh, so I'm working on uh, a new story. I, I guess I could tell a little bit about it. It's about just, a, just a, a, playwright, a playwright in New York who um, 
falls for a publicist who, uh, and they don't know each other and then they end up uh, finding out, oh, you're going to be my publicist, but I'm, you know, into you. What is that going to, you know, hijinks ensue kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, I, I love writing Black women with powerful jobs. I just have, mm -hmm. it's fun to me. So I'm like, oh, a playwright, this is going to be exciting, <laughs> and a publicist. I don't know much about these jobs, but, you know, I do my stuff and, you know, I love creating these characters. I have a character that appeared in both The Makings of You and Sweetest Taboo. Um, she kind of appeared in these stories as this a nightclub owner and um so i am coming up with a series about a um lesbian bar in new york and it's gonna be in that she runs and it's gonna have her and her cast of you know like her people each i'm trying to decide how many books will be but it's gonna be one book is gonna be basically about each of the people you know that run this club with her and their romances. So I thought that would be fun because there are no, well, first of all, there's really no lesbian <laughs> bars anyway. And in New York, we only have, I think three or something like that. I think we still have three, maybe. Um, and, but there's no, none by people of color. There's no, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I was like, oh, that's a, a great fantasy <laughs> to have <laughs> that, you know, like I, I want, that would be wonderful. So I'm going to have fun with that. And so those are my two things I'm coming. They're still brewing. Um, so we'll see. And I'm working on, um, there's a publisher that I'm working on something to hopefully submit to them as well. So got a lot of stuff in the pipeline, you know, as long as my brain can keep the you know, good stuff coming out. We'll see. <laughs> I, I love it. I'm excited about what's next. When you mentioned the lesbian bar owner, I was like, yep, I want to read that. <laughs> so come on, bring it. How can um, folks uh, learn more about you, follow you? What are the what are the deets? Contact all of that good stuff. I am terrible with social media. It's okay. So I have an Instagram and a Twitter other under Ava Freeman Lit. I am trying to work on actually posting more to them because you her point of social media is to promote yourself. <laughs> I just. I, I went into some this space where I'm just like in my personal life as well. I just social media, I got drained. And so, yeah. I, but you know, the thing is you got to promote yourself if you're in writing. So I'm going to, I got to work on that. So people can follow me there. Um, and then my website, authoravafreeman.com. I, I post on there when I'm going to do updates and stuff. So definitely there. Um, and yeah, this was exciting. I love doing this, you guys. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We definitely um, enjoyed your book. Enjoyed having oh, you. I didn't ask you yes. What made you choose the book? Okay. So, <laughs> um, so, so Isaiah and I take turns choosing, choosing the books. Um, and I'm trying to remember how I found you I, again. Like I, I think I mentioned before, I really wanted to do, um, you know, the Black queer women love story. Like I, I went out seeking that. And then I think if I'm not mistaken, I found this book maybe on Goodreads or or something that kind of linked it to you. And when I read the description, I was like, yep. And in the episode when we announced the book, we had a whole conversation about vacation flings of, you know, these getaway romances. And so it all really came together. But one of the things that 
my hope is for for our listeners and the book club is that we are choosing books where folks can see themselves and so wanting to make sure that yeah that love's divine was was part of that so it was it was great thank you thank you i'm glad you guys enjoyed it nice to meet you ava it was a pleasure yes and I'll be listening to you guys. I enjoyed, uh, I started the, the thing you did with about Madonna. I was inter- so entertained. So I have to finish it. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Bianca needed to hear that. You don't have to. <laughs> that was literally Isaiah's bladed or early birthday gift. I don't know what that was, but thank you. <laughs> we are glad you joined us. We wish you all the best. and Thank you so much, guys. You take care. <laughs> take care. In this week's All the Feels, we celebrate the life and career of Serena Jamika Williams, the greatest athlete the world has ever seen, as she retires from professional tennis. So Bianca, as you know, the United States Open begins on Monday. I will be there next weekend. And we already know going into the tournament that this will be Serena's very last tournament. So literally, Bianca, Um, the next match she plays could be her last match. And so that's where we are. We are recording this on Thursday. So we don't know yet if she's going to be playing on Monday or Tuesday of the tournament. But by Wednesday morning, Bianca, Serena Williams's career could be over. She is evolving <laughs> away from <laughs> We're gonna get to that. <laughs> Yes, because I I love that for her. Like <sighs> One, I am glad that you are going to the U.S. Open. I expect nothing less, but I am glad that you are going to be a part of this historic moment. (laughs) Well, maybe. By the time I get there, she could be out. (laughs) And that's the thing. You think she's going to like go in playing her hardest? Well, I can tell you this. I've watched her play some other tournaments this summer. In her last three tournaments, in two of them, she was out in the first round. And so... You can tell that she's a little bit checked out. Her heart is not as in it as it once was. I do think she's going to try very hard to win her first match, but I don't think that Serena expects to be able to win seven matches, which is what it would take to win the the title. I think at best we can hope that she's going to win a match or two before she bows out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, and I hope that I hope for that for her I don't know I, I'm struggling with words um, I want her to get the things you know but at the same time I like the fact that she has um yeah made this announcement like I, I am curious to see what she does next do we know are there any whispers is Olympia is is her baby gonna be um tennis and next well, there's actually rumors that Serena is pregnant and that one of the reasons why she has elected this summer to exit is because she's in the very early stages of a pregnancy. I want to underscore that Ooh. is a complete rumor and we don't have any credible sourcing on that. But we do know that she played an entire major yep. and won an entire major while pregnant. Yep. So it, it wouldn't even be unprecedented for her to compete while pregnant. So I'm just going to I'm just going to say that. Mm. By the numbers, I want to give the numbers before we get into it uh, on her career. Serena has 23 Grand Slam singles titles, the most in the open era. She has 14 Grand Slam doubles titles. She has two Grand Slam mixed doubles titles, and she has 73 overall WTA titles. She even has four Olympic gold medals, one in singles and three in doubles 
all with her sister, Venus. So she announced her evolution in Vogue magazine. And I say evolution because she's calling it an evolution and not a retirement. She's acknowledged that she has some issues using that word. I, I sent over the article. It was accompanied by a huge, beautiful pictorial with her and Olympia. Did you read the story, Bianca? And what did you think about what Serena had to say? So when you sent it over, I was like, yes. And then I opened it and they were like, no, you can't unless you subscribe. Oh, you're not a subscriber of Vogue? I had no idea. I you're thought disrespectful. It's the same thing as when my dad sends me like Washington Times or New York Times articles. And I'm like, daddy, download this and send me the PDF. Well, if I can just kind of give you the synopsis, it was not, it was written by her. So it was in her own words, essentially. And she laid out her rationale for why it was time to evolve away from tennis, as she said. And it, there wasn't anything necessarily earth shattering in there in terms of, of news, but it was nice to see that she decided to do it on her own terms in her own way and in her own voice, as opposed to having someone else write it. And I think that was important to Serena. You may have noticed that she was the first guest on a podcast called Archetypes, which was uh, released by the Duchess of Sussex. And I think that, you know, both of them really know how to uh, control their own narrative. And I think Serena and Megan are like, you know what, we're going to do this in our own way. You take it or leave it. And, and as opposed to speaking through filters. And so I appreciate that she said that she's a businesswoman. She's already got a number of things in the hopper going. She, she raises money. She is, she's in, she's got her hand in several different things. So she can go in any number of directions, even television broadcast, if that's what she wants to do. But I think it will be very exciting to see what she decides to do next. And, and it wouldn't hurt my feelings if she uh, expanded her family and gave Olympia a brother or a sister to play with. What, what there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it would be super adorbs. And also, yes, as you mentioned, like she was pregnant, winning the matches, doing all of the things. Um, but as you get older, your body responds differently to pregnancies, especially maybe that second, third time around. So maybe she was like, mm, I need to sit down. Maybe her physicians were like, mm, I need to, you need to sit down. But either way, I like the fact that she's using the term evolving instead of retiring, because retiring often to me sounds very final. I am excited to see what she does next. I, hold on, where is Venus? Did Venus evolve? Venus is still active and Venus oh. has not announced her, her retirement yet. And it's interesting that Serena went first because as you know, Venus came before Serena. Mm -hmm. So technically speaking, Venus's career will be longer than Serena's. It started before Serena's and it will eclipse Serena's by at least, you know, a month or two. And who knows how much longer Venus is going to play. So I find that to be the most interesting aspect of this because Serena is the younger of the two. I keep forgetting that. I also feel like I have not heard Venus's name in a while. <laughs> so that, yeah, to say the least. She's but in I the US Open draw as well. They are both playing in the tournament. Ooh. They are not doing doubles in this tournament, which is a disappointment to me because I was hoping that they would. Mm. But they're both in the singles draw. Okay. Come on, Venus. Keep doing the things, big sis. I think Serena has also you know, Serena and Venus have really just paved the way. I sent you that picture of Coco looking flawless and fierce on the cover of, of ESPN. And so no matter what she does next, I just think she is, she's the GOAT. And she has really um, 
just always stood firm in, in, in who she is and what she stands for and has done things. And so many amazing tennis players, especially Black tennis players, our, shout out to our homegirl, Naomi, <laughs> um, can really say that, that, yeah, the Williams sisters really paved the way and opened that door for me. They're transformative in every way. I am a tennis fan. I enjoy the sport of tennis because of the Williams sisters. You know, Arthur Ashe was an icon, but I didn't, that was not my time. That was before my time. I didn't, I wasn't watching tennis when Arthur Ashe was playing. It was Venus and Serena that brought me to tennis. And I think a lot of, a lot of people, especially a lot of black people can say that, like we became fans because of the Williams sisters. And now I'm, I'm going to remain a fan, but, but they were the reason that they, they're the reason that I started out. And so I'm forever like wowed by that, by not just that they turn my, my attention to tennis, but that they were so good at it for so long. Uh, Bianca, I sent you this article about Serena's 10 greatest achievements. She had her professional debut in October of 1995. That's when she started her in professional tennis, October of 1995. It is September, about to be September of 2022. That is, I mean, <laughs> I that is do a the long math. time. I don't, you know, no numbers. That is a long time. How many athletes can say that they were in the prime of their sport for 27 years? Mm. And winning things while pregnant. <laughs> that part. The body is amazing. <laughs> it's just, it's just amazing. Go ahead. What you were just saying about your introduction to tennis being because of the Williams sisters. I also think, um, I remember when Tiger Woods came on the scene and <laughs> black folks were like, oh, we playing golf. It is similar, but as we just talked about to Ava about just, again, this importance of representation, when we see ourselves in places and spaces where we haven't seen ourselves before, our interest is, is peaked, we are invested in a different way, we want to learn about, we're more curious, um, because if, if the Williams sisters were never the Williams sisters, do you think your love of tennis would be what it is? No, mm. not, no. <laughs> not even close period <laughs> they brought me to tennis they kept me at tennis they're not only their on court but their off court presence and all the things that they are involved in it is 100% what has kept me tied to this game and what will keep me tied to this game and the fact that I now the fact that I now follow Naomi or Coco there's a chance that there would not have been a Naomi or Coco without the Williams sisters so so it all kind of it all flows from the same you know, river in, in, in my estimation. Bianca, let's look at this list. Let's see if we can, let's rotate on giving some facts about her. I'll give number one and, and so on and so forth. So this very first fact and figure I found fascinating. Uh, Serena Williams became the first African-American woman to win a Grand Slam singles title in the open era. And Bianca, when they say open era, the open era is the most recent era of tennis where it was really open to everyone. And so before this, only certain people could participate in, and in certain places. And so by open era, we really mean it was diverse and it was available and accessible to everyone. And so there's a, I don't want to get into this whole back and forth about she doesn't have as many titles as Margaret Court and all that bullshit. The bottom line is, is that Serena has the most titles in the open era and she was the first African-American woman to win a title in the open era. We will share this article and we can't hear a word you're saying, my dear. 
I was muted. Shut up. Number two. <laughs> number two. She became the third African-American woman to hold the number one ranking. So when I was reading this, I was, um, because they talked about her um, defeating Venus to go on to be ranked number two. And then, yeah, and defeating Venus. And so I'm also wondering what it would be like. I, w- I would love to have them on the show. Um, and I know they've always been supportive of each other. Um, but yeah, just, just the being in you and your sister kind of being in consistent competition with Mm -hmm. each other in order to, to kind of go back and forth and holding these, these spots in these spaces. So, you know, that's a very interesting comment, Bianca, because Venus and Serena have met in many Grand Slam finals. I don't have the exact number in front of me. We can look at it. We'll, we can Google that number. But suffice it to say that if Venus were not a person, Serena would probably have many more Grand Slam titles because her sister beat her and Mm -hmm. kept her from having a higher number. You Mm -hmm. with me? Yes. So so she's got 23 singles titles, but she might have 30 if if Venus weren't around. Because I think Venus has seven of her own. Uh Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Interesting. Number three fact about Serena. Serena is the second woman to hold all four slams simultaneously twice. Number four, she won the 2007 Australian Open despite being unseated. What does unseated mean? That's a great question. So they only seed the first 30, the the top 32 players. Mm -hmm. And your seeding means that it's based on your ranking and the points that you've accrued up to that point. Now being, while the advantage to being seeded in a tournament is that if you're seeded, you know that you won't face another seed until at least the third round. So in other words, it keeps you from playing the really good players until later in the tournament. If you enter a tournament unseeded, it means that it's much harder for you to actually win because you could play the number one player in the first round, theoretically. And so by her winning the 2007 Australian Open by being unseeded, that's extraordinary to do because that means that she had to play all the best players to get there. Her road to that title was not easy. It was very difficult. In fact, it's very rare for someone to win a title unseated. And in the article, it says her performance in the final was described in the press as one of the best performances of her career and arguably the most powerful display ever seen in women's tennis. Just a gift. Give Go ahead, her, her things. Number five, she completed the career golden slam by winning the 2012 Olympics. So this is very exciting to me because her first singles gold medal was in the 2012 Olympics. She, de- she defeated Maria Sharapova, um, six, one, I'm sorry, six love six, one, which means that she won all games except one. And at the time, I believe that Serena was either number one or number two in the world. And, and Maria was, was the other. So again, she was beaten the very best um, on the world's biggest stage and really beaten, you know, the piss out of this woman. Um, I will never forget it. It was one of the greatest matches I've ever seen her play. Um, and so it was one of those things where she really was going after this gold medal. It had kind of eluded her in the two previous Olympics she had played in. And so it was one of those moments where in her career, she had finally kind of achieved something she had been chasing. So um Congrats to Serena on that. Gold medal secured in 2012. 
Number six, Serena has won a record 23 Grand Slam single titles. Um, and you mentioned this earlier, but it says moreover, this was her 23rd Grand Slam single title. And remarkable thing about this achievement is that Serena was at least eight weeks pregnant during the triumph. Now, I remember being eight weeks pregnant. <laughs> And all I wanted to do was lay down and eat snacks. So just, um, but also the the physical capabilities of being able to, you know, bring forth <laughs> baby over here, re- procreating um, and winning Grand Slam titles. And so her winning 23 is also the most by any player male or female in the open air as you mentioned before Mm. absolutely Mm -hmm. male or female in the open air so she's got one more than Steffi Graf who has 22 and then Martina Navratilova and Chris Everett both have 18 and Margaret Court who has the most all time only has 11 in the open air and Bianca uh Margaret Court has 24 Um, all time. And so that's the distinction between her and Margaret Court. Um, And we don't need to get into Margaret Court because Bianca doesn't know this, but Margaret is a homophobe and she's a problematic trash ass person. And so we're not going to go into all that today. Nope. Other other than me just dragging her just now. You just did. (laughs) Number seven, Serena jointly holds the record for the longest run as the world number one ranked female player. You heard every word I said, and I'll repeat it. <laughs> Longest running number one. I should say she she jointly holds that record. And she holds it with, who is, does it say who she holds it with here? Steffi Graf. She, she holds that record with Steffi Graf. So that, that just means that they held it for the same number of weeks, Bianca. Going back to her amazing sister, number eight, she has won 14 Grand Slam women's doubles along with Venus. What a duo. I want them to do some things together in, in terms of the evolution, because once Venus retires, I would, I, I, I would like to predict for them to run some powerful things together. Or maybe they tired of seeing each other's face. I don't know. I don't have a sister, so. <laughs> and they got like 12. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine. Serena Williams hosts the third most Grand Slam titles combined. So in other words, when you combine her singles, her doubles, and her mixed doubles, she's third on the all-time list, which again, is just amazing um, that she can be so high up in this list of people. The only people ahead of her are Margaret Court, Martina Navratilova, and she's actually, Serena is tied with Billie Jean King. They both have 39 total titles when you add up the singles, the doubles, and the mixed doubles. Um, Margaret Court, who I mentioned earlier, she was a very prolific mixed doubles player, Bianca. And as you can see, she has 21 titles just in mixed doubles. Serena just has two. So I think the big difference between the two of them there is that Margaret was playing a lot more in the mixed doubles, where Serena was never really into that side of tennis. And number 10, she was the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year in 2015. And I don't know why she wasn't every year, from being honest. I mean, come on. Even as I'm, like, they're going through, like, all of, like, the awards, like, the ESPYs, NAACP, like, all of the things. But I feel like 2015, she could have gotten it a couple, two, three more times. She should get it for 2022 and 2023. Just saying. Um, and it mentioned that she was the highest paid athlete 
no, I'm sorry. In 2017, she was the only woman on the Forbes list of 100 highest paid athletes. Wow. Is there a Serena moment that stands out into in your mind, even as someone, you know, she does so much other than just play tennis. She she shows up to the Met Gala. She She's going to the Oscars to promote her father and the movie and all these things. So when you think about Serena, is there a moment for you that's like, you know what, that's my favorite quote unquote Serena moment? For me, it's the fashions. <laughs> or lack thereof. I, I'll let you go and then I'll, I'll say my piece. Wait. Or like they're up. It has been since Venus and Serena came on just unapologetically to black girls with beads, right? <laughs> like they were like, we are, this is the 90s and this is what we do. Um, you know, the I'm thinking of like, what is it like a black one-legged cat suit <laughs> that she she played it like you mean her on court fashion her on court fashions oh that's now I'm I, with you now that's with you. what I'm talking about yeah she said I am not going to give you this little white tennis skirt and tank I am going to give you something I agree. you've never seen before I agree with you now now I'm with you so she's <laughs> yes. done tutus yeah she's done cat suits yes. she's done rompers and and all the rest and it's like you just never know what you're gonna get exactly and she used usually pick something that accentuates her curves. And I think it's very intentional. And I think she's always been, well, she said this, that she had to get used to the fact that her body was different because people would always point that out to her anyway. Yeah. And so she's like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to hug these here curves. Y'all going to get this ass. And she never, all these little itty bitties that she's playing against out here in these little tiny skirts. I think, I think she came to revel the fact that her body was just different and that she was going to embrace that and you were going to get it. And I live. And I love that how she can go from tutu to like catsuit to like something a little bit more quote unquote traditional. You get you get all of it through the years. We've seen quite a lot of fashion on the tennis court. And I, I'm here for it. We have seen quite a lot. <laughs> even, even, even Venus gave us, <laughs> given us some... <laughs> things okay as i'm scrolling through there's some classic photos of venus where you could basically just see her whole behind (laughs) child i'm looking at this one picture where it looks like a lace negligee top (laughs) with this red bony like i don't know what this i don't know what this is is that a tennis outfit or is that something else (laughs) it looks like a (laughs) nighty. and if it were white it would be uh, a wedding night nighty. Now, the reason that I kind of asked you that question, I've never thought that her red carpet fashion was all of that. I think it really misses the mark a lot of the times. We got to see her quite a bit on the red carpet last year for King Richard. But out of everything that she wore, I only liked one of the outfits, if I'm being honest. So I think sometimes her red carpet looks miss the mark, if I'm being honest. And I love Serena, as y'all all know. Yeah. Um, but the on-court appearances give us something to, <laughs> to facts. aspire to. What is your favorite moment? Facts, facts. <laughs> oh, there's so many. There's so many. Um, you know, her first Grand Slam title at the U.S. Open was really amazing. The tournament in 2007 at the Australian Open where she was unseated and she was coming back from injury, um, that was really a, a huge achievement by Serena. No one saw that coming she was so happy to have won that title. 
And then in January of 2017 at the Australian Open, when she won the title while being pregnant, she was actually playing Venus in that final. And there's something poetic about how her, for her last major title, she was playing her sister and she was pregnant at the same time. At the, at the time, I didn't realize it, but in retrospect, it's a very poignant um, thing that her sister was the opponent. And so in retrospect, that has to be one of the top moments. All hail the queen. <laughs> Catch Serena Williams at the United States Open and let's hope she wins seven matches in a row and win her 24th major. Wouldn't that be a great way to go out? It would you be know a what? great way. Miracles happen every day, Bianca. You just but if never... she does nothing else, if she just sits on the court and does a little, a little dance or just plays with her fingernails, she has given us enough. <laughs> this is true. She owes us absolutely nothing and we can't wait to see what she has in store for us next. Mm. In this week's Gotta Do, we revisit the 22 things you gotta do to live your best life in 2022. In this week, we discuss Bianca's suggestion of updating your resume and cover letter. Now, B, when you saw that I had included this on the arc, were you surprised? Were you shocked? Were you taken aback? I said, why is he stealing my things? Now, what am I going to have next week? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, but I was looking for one. I wanted to do one of the 22 things this week. And I was like, yes. this is actually not bad. And I had a reason, <laughs> you know, I always have an ulterior motive. Always bring it. So what had happened was I'm helping to fill an open position at work. And, you know, we hate talking about work here. So I'm not even going to get into the specifics of that. I, but what I can share with you all is these people, these lovely people, these amazing people, you were sounding girl, like Donald Trump right now. Girl, child, sweetie. <laughs> they got photographs on their resume. They got color codes. They got illustrations. They got blocks of bullshit. And I just really want to say to them, this is unprofessional. <laughs> this, is, this is really unprofessional. <laughs> like, I don't understand. It is so easy to Google ideal cover letter, ideal resume. Why am I getting a resume with half of the, of the top of the page is a picture of you at the beach. Like that's not, that's, that's, that's inappropriate. <laughs> Am I missing something, Bianca? Did it change while I was asleep last night? What the fuck is this? I guess, and people are, are sending in TikTok videos instead. I don't know. And I think because we talked again, we talked to Sanaa Rasul about this last month <laughs> or last year, but she was like, yeah, it's also a no. Um, but it may work for the industry that you're going in. So if I'm going into graphic design, if I'm going into, I don't know, television, I want to put a headshot or whatever, like that makes sense. For the work that we do, <laughs> I can't imagine when you need a whole, I don't know, 12 different fonts and just Technicolor Dreamcoat on the, <laughs> on the side. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really off-putting, and, and I don't understand why they think that this is serving their interests. It's just, it's baffling to me. I included two articles here. First, the guide to a, to a good cover letter, or to good cover letters, I should say, and then tips for the best resume. So let's start with the cover letters, Bianca. This is from a site called The Muse, and of course, we will share this. Bianca, what I liked about this is that not only does it give the tips, but it gives examples. Because one of the things that always frustrated me is that 
you can go online and get a cover letter that's basically written. <laughs> yes, you can. There are services where you just plot in your own information. That part. Yes. So yeah. you really have, so if you're turning in a crappy cover letter, you really have no one to blame but yourself because all you have to do is really go in and fill in the blank. <laughs> Y'all really, this is not hard. <laughs> it's like the ad libs that we used to have back in the day where you have the little line, you put in a noun or an adjective. Like that's really all you're doing essentially. Yeah, so this, this site explains why the cover letter is important and it gives you some very simple steps. So step number one, write a fresh cover letter for each job. But yes, you can use a template. I can't tell you how many cover letters I see that aren't tailored to the job that they're applying for. They even sometimes forget to take out the dear agency Ooh, X, this I've is agency Y. That. And I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? I have, so, I have secondhand embarrassment because this is, I have to throw this away now. <laughs> so make sure that you do a fresh cover letter for every job. Just like you do a fresh pair of draws for every outfit. You want a fresh cover letter for every time you go out. Number two, add your contact information. Again, this seems basic to me, Bianca. <laughs> but some people are not. <laughs> maybe, maybe folks are forgetting we need to be able to contact you. Number three, address your cover letter to the hiring manager, preferably by name. Now, this is another part that this sometimes strikes me as lazy. When you can easily go to the company website and figure out who it is, do not put on here, dear hiring manager to who it may concern. If you go just, the, if you take an extra five minutes to address it to Bianca Ward or Isaiah Webster, it's just, it just, why not? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, yes. Okay. I agree. If it's, if it's, if you can find it, yes. I don't know if it's always as simple as that. I think about our particular org and sometimes the hiring manager doesn't necessarily quite align with the person that you might think it is. That's not true. On our on our job description, we put who you who the job reports to. Oh, this so is all true. you have to do is go to the website and look at that job this and figure out the name. This is true. But again, yes. So for ours, yes, that makes sense. And now that I think about it as I am a hiring manager for a position right now. Um, I am not getting too many uh, Dear Ms. Wards. <laughs> not okay. that I think about it. But I am getting people in my LinkedIn inbox. <laughs> Why? That's not how you apply for a job they, at our company. To, to flag me that they have applied. Oh, uh-uh. <laughs> it is. I will. It is. Most recently, folks have been in my LinkedIn thing. Unprofessional. Number four, <laughs> craft an opening paragraph that'll hook your reader. Now, to me, this goes without saying, but just keep in mind that the person that's reviewing your cover probably has hundreds of covers to read through. And if you put all the important shit at the bottom, no one's going to read that. If they're not hooked after the first paragraph, it's going in the trash can. And I, I'm, I, I do apologize, but that's just the reality of the situation. Bianca, how many letters do you read start to finish? The the interesting thing is, <laughs> I love that we're doing this because I know that you will not look at an application that doesn't have a cover letter. I I have been receiving less and less cover letters previously in the two positions that I have been hiring for. I'm glad you brought that up. I do prefer a cover, and usually in my jobs, I stipulate that they need one. Mm -hmm. So. If we don't, if it's not stipulated that you have to do one and you don't do one, I'm fine with that. However, mm -hmm. if it's, if it's not stipulated and you submit a cover and it's bad, 
you're going in a trash can. Mm. Because now you took the initiative to do something you didn't even really need to do and it's trash. <laughs> <laughs> I And I actually, um, I think some folks don't do the cover letters because it really is like, if it's not required, like it is another step. And now mm -hmm. with, with like the job websites, like you're just uploading your resume, just upload, upload, upload. Like you don't even have to fill out anything anymore. Um, but I do like, I do like a cover letter because I think that that is going to give me more um, flavor or information about you than just these bullets on your resume. Number five here on these steps to the perfect cover letter is to convey why you'd be great, why you'd be a great hire for this job. And the emphasis is on this. So oftentimes the covers that I read, Bianca, they're great at talking about the person and their expertise, but they don't tailor it to the job they're applying for. And so I don't need, I have a resume to read your qualifications. The cover should really be about how you're translating those skills to the job you're applying for. And I, I do admit that this seems to be the one area where people fall down on is they don't tie it back to the job they're applying for. Number six, bring up your qualifications with examples and numbers. Be quantitative here. I think that this is very, very important. And I often see sometimes people use that table format. Have you noticed that, Bianca? Like they'll say mm -hmm. in your job vacancy, you said you're looking for X and I have X. You said you're looking for Y and I have Y. And they literally do it like in a table. Mm -hmm. Like they might say, your job, your job post said you were looking for someone with experience, I don't know, folding napkins. And here's my experience folding napkins. Like they literally call mm -hmm. out what you said you wanted and then point to how they fulfilled that skill. Have you ever seen someone do that at the very I, top of a cover? I haven't, but I am curious about it. And, and me, I actually probably would like that because I'm sort of a, a visual learner and I want to get right to the point. Right. I like it because um, hmm. it gives away right off at the top how they feel like they are qualified for what you said you wanted. Mm -hmm. So in other words, before you need to read like a page, a page and a half, and we'll get to the length here in a second, I'm going to tell you in a, just a couple of bars what you said you wanted and what I'm offering. Number seven, finish with a strong conclusion. That's the other um, piece of advice given here by the news. Now, Bianca, I think whether you are applying to be entry level or where you're applying to run the department. I think a good cover is a page, a page and a half maximum. Really, and I like a page. What is your, what is your stomach on this? I don't want more than a page. <laughs> a page and a quarter, perhaps. <laughs> because I think I like conciseness and yeah, I like efficiency. And to me, your, your ability to convey your qualifications in a page demonstrates your conciseness and efficiency. Mm -hmm. Okay, Bianca, what do you, what did you notice on this resume advice here that we, that I plucked out for us to consider? Are we on the next article? Yeah, this is from Balance, the Balance Careers, tips for the best resumes. It says tips for writing a resume that will help you get hired. And I'm pretty sure you read this in advance, right? Of course I did. Um <laughs> So I feel like it's obvious, but include the right information being the first one. Um, and it's just saying that you should have your contact, you should have your work experience, your job skills, your education, et cetera. I don't know if I need, um, I've seen resumes where folks want to give me a whole list of every single training that they have ever done and every single um paper certificate that has come along with it I don't know if I I don't know if I need 
I don't know if I need that. Okay. Um, the next one is to pick a resume format and depending chronological, functional combination. So this is, I thought this was interesting because I'm always so used to um, chronological because uh, that's the way I've always done things. But I like, I have been seeing more and more of kind of these, these functional resumes that's like this, this are, these are the skills that I have or the things that I have done, et cetera, et cetera. So just really tying in together, these are the skills that kind of, as you mentioned with the table, that line up with what you're looking for. I think that's cute. Um, again, as you already mentioned, review templates and samples. They exist. There they do, are y'all. so many, so many free things out there um, that <clears throat> one of the things, I can't remember the website that I've used, but we're not giving them no ad time anyway. They had templates that that were specific to your industry. So if you were an accountant, they had some templates for that. If you were service provider, whatever, doctor, whatever. And I thought that that was cool because it, one, just, just the formatting made sense. Again, you are literally, they're like, plug in your information and we're going to format this for you in a way that makes sense um, and get you hired. And well, I don't know about and get you hired, but I thought that that was really helpful. So again, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are a lot of free templates, a lot of free services or the ones where, you know, after a month you have to pay $19.95, but you just make sure you cancel that at day 25. Okay. <laughs> Um, match your qualifications to the job, which is already something that you had mentioned. So two things, two things I want to mention, and then I'm done. The including important keywords, because I have heard that like certain buzzwords is what's going to get your resume noticed. And I feel like I never know what those words are. So, you know, at a lot of companies, they have the computers are the ones that are doing the first scan. And so they put it through the computer. And if you don't use the the buzzwords, then then no real person is ever going to see it. Now, what you can do, Bianca, is you can see anywhere that you that's used more than once in the job posting is a buzzword to the company. Mm. Innovation, if they use that word a lot, Uh, status neutral might be a word in our line of work nowadays, that would be a buzzword, for example. Yeah. You want to basically use the language that they're giving you in the job posting, give that right back to them. And those are things the computer, if the computer is looking for, will pull out. Now, depending on the person you get, if a human being is doing the first scan, they might be looking for the buzzwords too. Um, but they're also more likely to be triggered by other things that you write down. But if the computer's doing the scan and you don't use the certain words, they're not even going to move you forward. And now, and now that you say that, I realize that, yes, I have been doing the scan because the last position I was hiring for got over 140 applications. Like it was, and you read every single one, right? Damn near. (laughs) But what I did first was go into that search box and put in the words that I was looking for. Exactly. And that's what, and, and they, and, and then we have computers that do that essentially. And so, and if you don't include the words, they just, you're, you're going to the trash can. Right. And so I started with those, but at the same time, yes. When I tell you, I went through like a needle in a haystack. Yep. (laughs) Um, And then the last one that I'll point out is email your resume the right way. Always follow the employer's instructions. And I feel like that is really (laughs) important because we just, even the instructions in the, in the job description, i.e. 
um, include your cover letter, uh, send it via PDF or whatever it may be, just following those simple instructions, whether the, the job posting asks you to include your salary requirement in your cover letter, like those things that you should pay attention to. Follow um, the damn instructions. That, that part, or even just read the job description all the way through, because I think it's interesting when, if we are blatantly saying the salary range is this, but you come back asking for four times that amount. I don't, I can't even, where are you friend? Going in trash can. What are we doing? One other thing, I'm surprised that people don't have their, their documents proofread by, by a third party. Don't ever submit something without letting another person proofread it. And this is important, even if you're a good proofreader, because once you're looking at the same thing over and over for long enough time, it just all starts to run together. So it's really critically important that you let someone else proof it for you. Now, to me, Bianca, that seems like an obvious thing. But again, based on just the last me two weeks looking at people's stuff, it's clear that no one proofed this or no mm-hmm. one, no hot, no good person proofed it. <laughs> <laughs> and that could be for a variety of reasons. Some people, you know, we talk about feedback. Some folks are nervous about feedback or the red marker all over their things or yeah so there's there could be a variety of reasons why they're not having folks proofread it but we are encouraging the folks to have somebody take a little second look okay all right we need to get on out of here this has turned into a very long episode i don't know what took us so long to move through these three segments today we want to thank (laughs) you're welcome oh you're rude We want to thank Ava Freeman for joining us today to talk about her book, Love's Divine. Go pick it up because mm-hmm. it's, it was a great book and, and she's a great person and um, we're very appreciative of her. What you need to feel is some appreciation for Serena Jamika Williams, the greatest athlete the planet has ever known, who is going to evolve away from tennis um, after the United States Open next week. And what you got to do is dust off those cover letters and resumes because uh, you want to be able to get the job you want and to not end up in the trash can. Because that's really that's really what we're talking about here. <laughs> Anything else Bianca Warren? I was going to say, order? how did you just take the outro away from me? Because clearly it was for me, but you were on a roll and I think you're just trying to rush us on out of here, which leads me to believe that I need to start providing an A and B selection <laughs> at the end of the you're show to keep us on a little bit longer. If I'm being honest, I was afraid you might try to slip in a cautiously optimistic <laughs> with Bianca board and we don't have time for that this week. We don't and this isn't my week so I wouldn't do it anyway, but next week, get ready. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> I'm Isaiah Webster. <laughs> I as always and forever <laughs> cautiously optimistic Bianca Ward thank you for listening